0: Good morning and welcome to the house of the Lord. And those of you joining us online, good morning to you also. we are in the book of Acts, chapter chapter 3 this morning. And before my time starts, (sighs) um, the crazy world around us, I hope it doesn't sound mean-spirited to say, when I first heard about the Ukraine thing, I said, oh, that means they're going to, all the prophecy pastors are going to just come out of the woodwork on this one. And um, I, I don't th- well, we'll be looking at the Bible to learn how to be better Christians, to better serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the world is going to do what it's going to do. We're supposed to do what we're supposed to do. And what we're supposed to do is know the word and know how to lead people to Christ and know how to strengthen each other as believers. And um, I, I just don't think every current event merits a prophetic comment um, anyway. Uh, I I like prophecy. Don't get me wrong. uh, I I believe in it. But I think that sometimes a congregation can hide behind prophecy and miss the rebukes that we need and the encouragements that we need from verse-by-verse exploration of what God has told us. Well, now my time starts. Maybe we're going to stand in a moment and read uh, Acts chapter... Three verses eleven through twenty six. It'll be about three minutes. About uh, it probably takes you longer to pump gas, and so we'll be fine. Acts chapter three. Would you stand, please, for the reading of God's word, <clears throat> beginning at verse eleven? Now, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob... Whom you see and know, yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, Yahweh, your God, will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things whatever he says to you, and it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days, you are sons of the prophets and the covenant which God made with our father, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed to you first. God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Please be seated. Some seem to suppose that if you're not coddling them, you don't care. And uh, that is a high-maintenance road that leads to useless places. The title of this morning's message is Care Without Caring. And I want to repeat that. Some people suppose, it seems, that if you are not coddling them, that you do not care. Peter cared for lost souls. He cared for the lost souls of his brethren he's preaching to that we just um, considered a moment ago as we stood and read from God's word. He cared for lost souls, but he did so without caring if they turned on him for telling them the truth about their guilt. And given the opportunity, he was going to tell the truth about their sin, and he did just that. We understand this. We understand that a doctor cares, but he doesn't uh, it's care without caring when he's inflicting pain on us to try to make us better. Peter and all of the preachers of the gospel and the New Testament especially were never careless about preaching to sinners. Peter let them have the truth about themselves that they would not have looked at without such a man as he, filled with the Holy Spirit. But he also offered the antidote to the poison The poison of sin, and that, of course, is Christ. Knowing God's love is neither natural, nor is it always easy to enter into, nor is it always easy to retain, to continue to love. Knowing these things, we find ourselves dependent on God, and that's where he wants us. Would you rather be dependent upon yourself? Would you rather be dependent on someone else, or would you rather be dependent on God? All of them are difficult because the world is cursed. We accept that. We also accept our mission in the cursed world. Paul, writing to the Ephesians, says, To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The love of Christ, it passes knowledge. It is something that is beyond us. But he has not abandoned us. He helps us through his spirit. Well, now we're going to look at the verses that... uh, I think what stands out again, as the title says, that Peter did care, but he did not care that they would be offended at the things that were inexcusable and they needed to be held accountable for. And he's going to have a great victory doing it this way. Because there are those that think appeasing people into the kingdom is the way to go, and that is, I think, false. Verse 11 now, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to meet them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. Well, just a little background, of course. Peter and John entering the temple at the time of prayer, and there's a beggar. He's lame for all of his life. He's in his 40s. He's asking for alms. And Peter says, I don't have money, but I have Jesus Christ. And, and Peter Uh, raised the man up, healed him right there on the spot. And this, of course, drew the crowds because they were all familiar with this man. He was in, it was constant. Well, that's where he was. It was his habit of posting himself at the entrance to the temple. And so here the man that is healed is hanging on to believers. There's a lot of thought into that. He's glad to be rid of his lame past. And he doesn't mind letting people know this. Unlike Lot's wife, he, not looking back at the lame life, everything is forward for this man. He's very excited about what has happened to him. And some may say, see how caring and gentle the apostles were, and they were, but they were other things too. And when we get to chapter 5, we're going to find out. The leaders of the church, it is uh, good if they don't abuse it, if they keep the congregation a little off balance. How else do you bear the rod of correction? How else do you effectively minister the word, we all being sinners? And we're going to see that in in latter chapters. They are loving, uh, very loving, but they are also not to be trifled with within the church. They're very defensive of the church, as they should be, because if they are not defensive, there's no defense. And the devil just walks right in and takes over, And the next thing you know, they call themselves a church, but they're not preaching the things of the church. Uh, And the whole denominations have been sucked into that. He says here in verse 11, All the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. Now, Luke is writing this This as long, many years after these events have taken place. But Luke was meticulous in his research, interviewing and getting to the facts, omitting what he could not establish and putting it in clear Greek language, uh, high Greek language, I should add, uh, that uh, the the findings that he, he was able to validate. But such a miracle demanded an explanation. You don't just heal somebody who's been lame from birth, always at the church door, and, and not say what's going on. And here we have the manifold glory of God. There are, several things are happening. Well, God is using his apostles. That's one thing. He's healed this lame beggar. That's two things. And the third thing is, God has drawn the people. Not by gimmicks, but by his work. This Solomon's porch where they are, as I commented before, I don't know why I need to tell you that. Well, maybe in case you think I'm, I'm just being redundant, uh, but it is, uh, I think it's very human that these men kept going to the place where Jesus taught from. In John's Gospel, chapter 10, Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Well, here they are there again in chapter 5. We read it again. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. This was sort of a a safe place for them to preach Christ. Now, the Jews did not really understand yet that this was separate from Judaism. For a long time, even, even Rome thought that Christianity was a sect of Judaism. Once Jerome found out it wasn't, oh man, they turned up the persecution at that, and they used it to their advantage as best they could. Many Christians, I think, are very unclear about their identity. We're we're not Old Testament uh, Hebrews, and that's not an insult to anyone Jewish. It is a fact that we are New Testament Christians. Whether you're Jewish or Gentile, uh, it makes no difference. It's a level playing field. But God's people, still chosen to be his emblem of uh, what he has in store for humanity, still is the chosen people, the Jewish people. And it is really, even though it's been used as an insult, you know, the Jew, it is an honorable name. It becomes Judah, God's tribe that God chose uh, to to produce the first God-chosen king. David was God's choice. And he was, Judah was the tribe. And it is very much connected to the prophecies and the will of God. Uh, on, even until the millennial kingdom, it is still a factor. Because, again, there will be people born in the millennial age that have no knowledge of these things. They're going to be born in a, a blank canvas. And the only way they're going to learn about Jesus Christ is if they're taught about Jesus Christ. And uh, the Jews, as a people, and the believers, the righteous, uh, will be a part of that education. Well, uh, coming back to this, verse 12. So when Peter saw, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness, we had made this man walk? Well, this is a preachable moment that God created for Peter, and he sees it. I mean, Peter could have just burst it out with this sermon at any time he wanted to. That would have been foolish. He's, he's prompted by the Spirit of God and the circumstances around him. That's why we don't just walk around Walmart just shouting out the gospel. We, we want the Lord to say, go, stop, go, stop. That's what means, well, one of the things it means that he is Lord. It takes so much guilt away. Uh, you know, when I first became a Christian, it was just, I didn't, I, I was so relieved. I didn't have to celebrate holidays if I wanted, didn't want to. I could if I wanted to. I really don't want to. But most people bully me into t- want, trying to get me to want to. But that's okay. I just don't love you as much as the guns that leave me alone. And you should know that. Anyway, uh, just the freedom that comes with Christ. In reading the New Testament, I realized I don't have to jam the gospel down anybody's throat. I don't have to sneak it out to them. I just need to wait, be ready and wait for the Lord to say, get them. And, and that has, uh, to me, uh, that's what I find going on here in the New Testament. What a relief. I have a co-worker and I'm working with them. I don't have to say, hey, did you know I was a Christian? And you're not? I don't have to do anything like that. I just have to be me. And God will bring it up one way or another He'll give me the shot if he's working on that person's heart. Anyway, the beggar, uh, he left the preaching to Peter. He was not asked to give his testimony. Peter was the one, the man of the word, that was going to take complete control over this moment. It wasn't, you know, you must be an expert on everything now because, God, you experience something, so therefore you're an expert. I think that's a terrible way to think. Uh, If if you've experienced a a surgery, I don't think you're an expert on on surgeries. I don't think I'm going to let you operate on me. But we do this, some of us, we do this with with Christianity. Somebody's experienced something, so now they become the the, the great wizard. The one that has all the wisdom to give out. It's a dangerous place to be. Christians, if you think that you have some advice for somebody, you better be very careful. The saying is, uh, I think, summed up in this, fool's go where angels fear to tread. Uh, It's a serious business, a spiritual war. And just to dole out the wisdom like you're some sort of um, sage is is dangerous. I would rather be led by the Spirit and have God say, go ahead and tell them that. Or you just button your lips there and uh, we'll have a good day together. So, uh, learning to be led. Christians should embrace this. This is a wonderful thing. What what makes us different from the world? Well, one of them is we are led by the Spirit, as Paul writes to the Romans. As many that are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. I want to be led by the Spirit of God, and I am a child of God. And uh, here, Peter and the man healed, and John are all in accord Uh, Without even just it just it's flowing at this point. Today, some Christian publishers would have recognized a bestseller in this event. Over the years, I've seen so many come and go. They've had their experience. They publish their book. Uh, It's all received for a while. Then, in a few years, you don't even know that the book even exists. I don't know if that's just always the right thing, the, the right way to go. And part of the role of a pastor in a pulpit is to tell you things to spark in your thinking something that needs to be addressed that otherwise would not have been addressed. You might say, you know, that's a good point. Of course, if you're here this morning, you're going to say that throughout the service. But if you were in another church, for example, listening to somebody else, I don't know why, but uh, it is as if you were, and if you're visiting, I'm, I'm kidding about about you being in another church. (laughs) Uh, But seriously, I don't want to be serious. I want to have fun right now. Seriously, if if you are, when you listen to a sermon, God is putting things out there for you to consider. And, uh, you know, if it hurts, it does hurt sometimes. Do you think when the pastor's preparing his message, he's not getting hit? You think he's above everybody? Uh, that would mean you're, you, you, you're missing a lot of important features about how ministry works. Well, anyway, coming back to this, Jesus warned about spotlight Christianity. He warned about celebrity Christians in Matthew 23. And so when you go to the marketplace, don't be looking for everybody to recognize you. Oh, there he is. I've had a sighting. Uh, you know, this is, not, this is not good for us. I'll get to a Tozer quote about that, and uh, just warning you, (laughs) because Tozer, of course, just had a way of being very concise and dealing with our flesh in a way that we otherwise might not have have allowed it. Men of Israel, he says, still a pronounced Jewish um, emphasis at this stage in Christianity. Uh, Look, we owe... uh, The Jews, so much as Gentiles go, the structure of the church is set up by the synagogues. That's our pattern. Not entirely, but much of it. Uh, Paul did that, and it's a good thing. Well, in verse 12 here, the Jewish men are addressed. In verse 13, the Jewish fathers are referred to. Then in verses 21 through 25, Peter will bring up Moses and Samuel and the prophets And, uh, at the last, at verse 25, he will call them children of the prophets and the covenant. And this is, uh, this is exciting. These endorsements of the Old Testament scripture, uh, appropriately, the message goes first to the Jew, then from the Jew, and here, Peter is, uh, becoming all things to all men, taking advantage, not in an exploitive way, not exploiting them, but taking advantage of his knowledge of the Jewish culture, being a Jew, and then using that to preach Christ. Paul will come along and do it with the Gentiles. He learns the Gentile life. He lived amongst the Gentiles, Saul of Tarsus, uh, and, and he, he used that. and He even boasted, I become all things to all men. And that doesn't mean he became a sinner for sinners. It means that he identified with them in their culture, in their lives, as he ministered the truth and did not live above them or apart from them as far as uh, preaching about life in the fallen world. Here in verse 13, uh, verse 12 still, Why do you marvel, Peter asked them, because to Peter, what's the big deal about God doing a miracle? And you say... Well, Peter, you know, are, are you true to that? I think he's very true to that. I think when Peter said, Lord, if it's you, you beckon me to come out and walk on the water. I think he was saying, I have no problem with Jesus doing a miracle. And when he got on the water, it's another story. But uh, I could just see Peter making excuses. What? I had lead in my pocket. What? What? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> those uh, fishing, anyway. Uh, or why, do you, continuing in verse 12, or why look so intently at us? As though by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk. Well, at best, we're tools of the Lord. You know, if, if you were drowning and someone threw you a, a life preserver, you'd be very grateful for the life, life preserver, but you wouldn't walk up to it and thank it after. It would be the one who tossed it to you. And Peter is simply saying, God is the one that deserves the praise. It's an easy, under, uh, easy thing to understand. At least it seems to me very easy to understand. Uh, but those days of trusting individuals to work miracles, uh, they ended in the days of the apostles. Not the miracles. Miracles still take place from time to time. But trusting an individual. When, uh, you know, Naaman was, uh, had the leprosy, it was the little Jewish girl that said, if she only knew my master, Elisha, he could go and be healed and cleansed of his, of his leprosy. Paul the Apostle, of course, you know, he and Peter were doing extraordinary miracles in the fledgling days of the church. But there came a time where Paul wrote, Trophimus, I have left in Miletus sick. That's a pretty big statement. And uh, so this is, of course, the days of faith and trusting in the Lord. But to think that there's somebody that is the spiritually better than the rest of us that has this, you know, connection to God, uh, that is a mistake. That is not biblical. And Peter is saying, I'm just the vessel. I'm just the instrument. Uh, don't pick up the, the tool and thank it. It's the one who uses the tool. And so he turns attention away from the lame man and himself and he exalts the Lord. Now, here's what Tozer said about the flesh. Nothing that comes from God will minister to my pride or self- congratulation. See, these are the things we say for, or and, and write for others to think about and and work through it. And I think that's where the growth and edification largely takes place. Verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up And denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Well, Christ had to die for us, but you cannot read the gospel story, I don't think, as a believer and have this wish that he would escape the cross. Thank God he didn't escape the cross. But, you know, we want, you know, he was that close, is kind of what Peter is saying, and you messed it up. But really, of course, he died for our sins. Had Peter only said the God of Abraham, the Ishmaelites would have had a claim without the law of Moses. Had he said the God of Abraham and Isaac, the Edomites would have had a claim without the law of Moses. This is very important. There's there's an unbroken witness connection here to Abraham and the law of Moses and the prophets and the fulfilling of prophecy in Christ. This is critical information. Peter narrows it down to the chosen people in Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the fathers. Those of the scripture, those of the covenant. Within that covenant is the promise of a new covenant. Or, to say it another way, is the promise of a new testament. That's why we call it the new testament. It comes right out of Jeremiah. So, may children of godly parents not trade truth for sensation or the gods of Satan. Now Satan won't tell you as a rule that he is killing your soul. And you know to be young, there's so many things going on with your life. You you don't even you don't yet know really who you are. You've not yet been tested by so many things, that's understandable. What is not understandable is to be born in a godly home and dismiss that and go trade sides for the lies of Satan. happens too much. It's up to you because mom and dad can't force you to love the Lord your God, but you can call on him and he'll meet you there whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. There's a lot of guilt he's laying on them. He's preaching that God visited them in the person of Jesus Christ. That is precisely what he's saying. By, by The terminology that he's using is right out of Isaiah. Now, in verses 13 and 14, Peter uses the pronoun that singles them out. You, you, you. We have other pronouns. Sir, her, she, him, ma'am. For those of you who want to get rid of those pronouns, may you see that Satan has made you his little flunky. May you see that a Satan that hates your guts is destroying you by getting, getting you to side against Christ and embrace madness in the interest of serving some carnal passion. God loves you. But that love will run out. God is not schizophrenic. He will not be loving at the time of judgment. He will judge. There's the wrath of God. It's not, it's not the love of God at that point. You've got a lifetime to fix this. Stop listening to the world. And listen to Christ. And going will come back to that in a minute. But this Peter, by saying, you did this. You did it. This is care without caring. He has got to hold them accountable if this is going to be resolved. And he cannot be bogged down with, oh, I sure hope I'm I'm not hurting their feelings with the truth. It would be different if he was hurting their feelings with lies or being mean and vicious and saying things to them that need not be said. That is not the case. Peter cares for their souls without caring if the guilty do not Like hearing it. They can walk away. He's not jamming it down their throats. We can't convert them unless we hurt them. Guilt stings. It is what could... You know, it is the goodness of God that leads to repentance. That goodness is born out of recognition that I've been poisoned spiritually and there's an antidote and I've got to face my sin as painful and ugly as that is. This is how we preach it to the lost. He would rather have them reject the truth than to have never faced the truth as God opens the door. Had they refused these truths, had they turned on him like they turned on Stephen, he would not hound them. He let them go their way. Our message of the gospel is take it or leave it. It's not, Well, you don't like it? What do we need to change about it? That's so Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever because there's nothing in him that needs to be improved, modified. He is the same. He's perfect and cannot be altered and will not be altered. Our message is not spam. We don't keep calling up people and trying to jam a sail down their throat to get that conversion. God gave his son, Peter says to them, but you sided against God. Your guilt is on you. No one caused you to bring about his conviction. Isaiah 53. And we're going to open up some good stuff here. If um, I don't know how much time you got this morning. Uh, Isaiah 53, verse 3. He is despised and rejected by men. Well, when Isaiah was saying that, he's speaking we did not. Well, let me just finish. Uh, he is despised and rejected by men. And we hid, as it were, Our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. He's saying, my people, we who are custodians of the scripture, we did not recognize our Messiah. They're being held accountable. And we have to ask this question. Why did not the Jews in Jesus' day see it? And why do the Jews today not see it? Religiously speaking, not ethnically speaking. Verse 14, but you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. The essence of the world's thinking, you denied the Holy One and the just, that's how the world thinks. The world has this approach, what's in it for me? Psalm 78, yes, again and again, they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. What I'm establishing here is that his use of the word the Holy One is deity. That Christ is divine. That God the Son is the Son of God, and the Son of God is God the Son. Proverbs 30, verse 3. I neither learned wisdom, nor have knowledge of the Holy One. Of course, there's a rebuke in that. There's a challenge in that. That's why the rebuke is given. So you read that and say, I don't want to be this guy who is ignorant, who has no wisdom. or Knowledge of the Holy One. That's the objective of the proverb. Isaiah frequently describes God as the Holy One and the servant, showing God as distinct from his creation and then applying this to Christ. For the righteous Jew of that time, there was only one Holy One, and that's Yahweh. This is a pretty bold move on Peter's part. He's saying Messiah is Christ and Messiah is divine. And the Jews understood that in the days of Christ no longer. We'll come to that. Applying to Jesus these exclusive titles in Psalms and Isaiah, for example, these exclusive titles are used for God. Peter applies them to Messiah Christ or Jesus. Jesus, Messiah. And asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Peter says, how dare you? How dare you? This man was holy and righteous, and you traded him for Barabbas? What is wrong with you? That's what's in this. I mean, if you're listening to this, he's going to have a large conversion after this, incidentally. You demanded death for the Holy One and life for a murderer. So here we come to the stupid things that otherwise intelligent people, intelligent human beings, will do when they reject Christ. You can have human beings that are compared to human beings, not compared to God, are quite impressive, quite genius, as a matter of fact, and could just do all sorts of things. And yet they reject God. The fool has said in his heart, because many of them are, are atheists, and, and, and they both look at me. I don't believe there's a God. Eh, so what? I, be- I believe you believe there's a God, and you just don't like what you've heard. And um, anyway, I don't believe in you. that make me what an atheist? atheist anthropo- anyway, uh, Peter watered down nothing. He wasn't brutal in, in a mean way. He's brutal in a true way. He's letting them have it. Can you imagine sharing the Bible with somebody? And uh, they're, they're into all sorts of sin, and you don't even bring it up. You don't even bring sin up. What are you sharing then? What part of the Bible are you sharing? Because I, as a past, when pastors look for a topical message, I think most pastors, well, I don't know about most do. I know what I do. I try to look for something encouraging and uplifting. And it's very difficult because so much of the Bible is right up in your face. Like, you better fix this. You better at least address it. But you sure better not excuse it. And... It's such a lesson in that you can cherry pick and just we're just going to take the word love from first Corinthians and leave out all the other stuff. But Paul says, if you don't have love, you're nothing. You see what I mean? You can't preach on love without getting up in somebody's face and saying, if you don't admire this and want this, you're nothing to God. You're annoying. That's how he calls it. And so Peter says here in verse 15, you killed him right out like that. He's even a Gentile was trying to let him go. This word, the prince, the prince of life, the word prince in the Greek, archegos, that we find it in Hebrews 2 and Hebrews 12, when it's translated also the author. It means the leader, the prince, the source, the captain of our our souls. Jesus is not only the servant of God, but he is the source of life. These are big words. I don't mean big words, you know, like, Uh, anthropomorphic or something like that. But uh, schadenfreuder, there's a fun word. Uh, It's really revenge built into that one. Anyway, uh, Jesus, the source of life. Therefore, to Jesus, everyone owes allegiance. That is it. If he is who he says he is, then you owe allegiance to him. This is why when Peter re- saw the miracle of Christ, he says, depart from me. And he was on his knees. I'm not worthy to show you allegiance. John the Baptist, I can't even untie his sandals. He's so righteous. I baptized with water. But he's going to baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. He's on a whole nother level. Don't you love that truth? Whom God raised from the dead. all oh, the indestructible Christ. He gave up the spirit. They did not kill him. He total control and total suffering at the same time, which adds to his majesty that he endured such treatment. Without this part of the message, we have nothing to say as Christians. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have no gospel. We can have a religious, you know, con, book of conduct. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And Jesus came along and put everything in the positive. You shall. You shall love your neighbor. You shall love the Lord your God. He's lifting them up now. The timing was right for that. In Moses' day, he had to bring them down. 1 Corinthians 15. And when you share the gospel, it is, again, okay to open your Bible and read it to them straight out. We're not covering up anything. We're not saying, well, you know, I don't want you to know I'm reading the Bible to you. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile you are still in your sins then also those who have fallen asleep a euphemism for died in christ have perished if in this life only we have hope in christ we are of all men the most pitiable paul is saying that you know, the resurrection is, it changes everything so back to the teens once again because you are never forgotten there are those in the scriptures that boast Since I was a child, I have followed the word of God. What are you going to do? Because there are forces out there bigger and tougher than you that are trying to get you to not ever make that claim, to detour you. You are expected to prevail by simply calling on the Lord, loving on the Lord. This is true of you, and it's true of the adults. Do you want to be treated any differently? You're junior adults, you could say. You're coming up. You've got to earn it. You've got to work. You know, it's not just handed to you. You still have to work it out. All of us do. Paul said, work out your salvation. Not that you have to earn your salvation, but you've got to live it. You've got to engage the world by faith. He says here, of which we are witnesses. Here's a provocative thought. Three and a half years walking with Jesus... And the disciples were still not equipped enough. Is that not provocative? Just because you walk with Jesus, I'm good. That's not enough. How do we know that? Because of the filling of the Holy Spirit that he promised he would give. Acts chapter 1. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. How How? We should embrace this as good news. There's more. There's development. There are things to look forward to as a Christian in serving Christ. And he has laid that out for us. Even back in Isaiah chapter 43. God speaking about the Messiah. Uh, you are my witnesses, says Yahweh. And my servant whom I have chosen. That you may know and believe and understand that I am he. Before me there is no God formed, nor shall there be after me. Well, the Jews never lost sight of that, much of that, not in this stage of the game. And so for Christ to come along and say, I'm the one that's being spoken of here is is quite powerful. And they held him to it. That was the charge against Christ by the, the religious rulers. He, being a man, made himself to be God by claiming he was the Messiah. Verse 16. And his name... Through faith, in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So, Peter's faith in Christ, not the beggar's faith. The beggar didn't know what was happening. But the power that empowers is the name of God. The credentials of God. You you know, we watch... um, those uh, movies of Sherwood Forest, and in the name of the king. Well, if it's the name of our king, it's got a lot of power to it. Verse 17, yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. <laughs> your rulers, not, not ours. Um, Peter here is, uh, he's already laid the conviction on them, and now he's going with the grace. Is something that Satan never does. He says, you did it out of ignorance. Well, that's what Christ prayed from the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's what Peter learned this from. And so he's got a chance now to open this up with them. And he's doing exactly this. His indictment of the rulers and their guilt. That kicks the hornet's nest. That would be chapter 4 and beyond. Verse 18. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer. He has thus fulfilled. Well, Jesus, Luke 24, we read it quite a few times, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Took a book like Obadiah. It says, let me show you where Christ is in Obadiah and every other one in Zephaniah and books that we may scratch our head with Christ. He, He knows it all. That the Christ would suffer, he has fulfilled. Peter's impressive Old Testament knowledge. He uses Joel, he uses Psalms, Isaiah, Deuteronomy, Samuel, Genesis. He is truly, he once was a man of his word, now he's a man of the word, and he's not going to depart. Uh, Just what a, we would say, you could say role model, but we would just say, I would, a dynamo of the faith because who does not want that as a believer God authored the cross they authored the guilt as Peter is laying it out that the Christ would suffer why so much with so much scriptural evidence why did the Jews of that time reject Christ because there's a difference why the Jews then rejected him and the Jews today are rejecting him overall they had Isaiah 53 Psalm 22, Isaiah 9, Psalm 2. We'll get some verses from that in a little bit. How could they miss that Messiah would be suffering? Well, the twofold answer. One is this, those at the time, they didn't want the verses to apply to Jesus because he would not honor them. That's how they disqualified him. They wanted honor. That's one of the reasons. And he didn't give it. In fact, he called them out on their sins. He said, don't be like those guys. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Sadducees and Pharisees, you will not enter heaven. He's in their face. And they had anticipated Messiah coming, delivering them from Roman rule, Gentile rule, ending the age of, of the Gentile, and appointing them to high places in the kingdom. And because that did not happen, they would not accept him. And th- this is um, these, this just the facts are all there. Why do the Jews not believe today? Um, they, well, before I get to that, both cases, they only accept the literal sections that spoke and speak of the glorious reign of Messiah. But they dismissed the other sections through spiritualizing those verses. So they'll take Isaiah 53, and they'll spiritualize his sufferings. Well, it's really not a person. It's Israel suffering or some other approach. There could be other... You you may have heard other uh, responses, but this is one of them. And when you spiritualize the Scripture without taking heed to the original, the intended meaning by God, you're rendering that section or that subject to your subjectivity. There's no backup for it. There's no connection to other scriptures. You just end up dismissing the facts if you just spiritualize something. We have to be careful of this. I think God is saying something to me. Well, maybe he's saying you're kind of dumb. <laughs> well, if somebody said that, you say, well, what do you base that on? You can't just say that without having a basis for it. Both, I mean, the accusation that you're you're dumb or the one that you're saying God is speaking to me. Well, one way we know God speaks to us is that he's not contradicting the scripture. God's not going to tell you, okay, it's okay to murder this guy because I don't like him either. That's, you know, that's not God. And that's an extreme, somewhat humorous uh, example. Anyway, uh, this understanding that Christ was not accepting them, he was not, taking down the Roman Empire, just fed their rejection of Jesus Christ to the point of murder. So spiritualizing the scripture and puffing up yourself can have some deadly consequences for others. Verse 19. We're coming back to this soon. We still got to deal with the Jews of today. Verse 19. Repent, therefore, be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Not only the solution is Peter giving them, repent and be converted. It is the only solution. There's no plan B. We're not in, uh, if, if God has a plan B, he, that's him. What he has told us to do, uh, we are responsible for. And that is to preach Christ crucified, risen, and returning. Uh, so he's calling them to repentance. Book of Acts, that's what they did. And that is, those first Christians have left us the template. That your sins may be blotted out. Either we repent and our sins are blotted out. Or we do not repent and we are blotted out of the book of life. Uh, So you resist God and, and you pay the consequence. Revelation 3. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. And I will not blot out his name from the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before the angels, uh, very, uh, God is going to be very aggressive in saying, yet yeah, this one's mine, you know, even the spiritual beings will be in on that. He continues here in verse 19, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, because repentance brings relief, and the repentance is uh, on cry comes from Christ. to know that you are saved is one of the most refreshing experiences a human being can have. It is a reset. Verse 20, now now we're going to come to some other answers. And that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Uh, The common belief today uh, amongst the Jews is that Messiah is not divine, whereas in the days of Christ, the leading rabbis believed the Messiah would be divine. And uh, they felt that Jesus claimed divinity. John chapter 12, verse 34, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? So they did not believe that Messiah could die because they had heard this. But they blocked out those scriptures that spoke of his sufferings. Uh, This is how they entangled themselves. And on that account, because he did not overthrow the Romans and because he was ultimately crucified, they justified their rejection of him as being Messiah, Messiah. Peter anticipates this. He anticipates this objection. And uh, he says, until the times of restoration, all things. It's the millennial kingdom. So He's saying Christ is crucified. He's in heaven. There's a millennial kingdom. There is a process that God is taking, <clears throat> is more, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. As it is written, he says, Jesus said, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have life. And these are they which testify of me. Hope I'm not losing you. Some of you may not be used to almost an hour long of verse by verse teaching, but I think that's what it takes. And uh, again, well, is there biblical precedence? There's Paul <laughs> preaching till he fell out windows, so that's why we're on the first floor here. Anyway, <laughs> verse twenty two. I'm trying to speed it up so we're not too long and get to the meat. I I do want to finish this section. For Moses truly said to the fathers, Yahweh your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things. Whatever he says to you, and it shall be every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. He's quoting Deuteronomy 18 and verses 15, 18, and 19. This section in Deuteronomy is another reason why the rabbis today, after the cross and the resurrection, reject the Christ. They say Moses was just a man. The ones today didn't always think this way, but they've tailored it to refute Christianity, much like the Council of Trent by the Roman Church to Counterattack the the Reformation. Anyway, <clears throat> Moses they say was a just man, and he was just a man. So if Messiah is like Moses, he will only be a man. And since Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, but was a man, we reject him. Hope I didn't lose you on that. They were just saying he Jesus can't be the one, leaving them unable to explain. Isaiah 9 and and Psalm 2, just for example. Isaiah 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. That is the the humanity of of the Messiah. He became a human. The government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That is the deity. And there you have Christ was 100% human and 100% God while he walked the earth. Psalm 2, verse 7. Yahweh has said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So the Messiah is from God, he is divine, and he is born. But again, the rabbis, from the time that Christ, at the time of Christ, they believed that Christ would be divine, that Messiah would be divine. Mark 14, verse 16. And now if I've lost you, it's recorded, and you can just go back to the verses. Mark 16, again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? You see, they understood that the Messiah was the son of God. They just would not allow it to apply to Christ because he did not honor them, because he did not overthrow the Romans, and because he allowed himself to be crucified. They did that by ignoring their own scriptures, and they do it to this day. They know more about rabbinical writings, the Mishnah and the Talmud, and other things than most of them, most of the Jewish people. And you should know this if God gives you a chance to preach to them. Preach to them from the Old Testament. Take them to Isaiah. I've spoken with Jews, and they love to hear about their own scriptures because they're not getting it anywhere else. I went to a bar mitzvah once, and... um, You know, what I remember, one of the things I remember is the struggle of the child to recite his verse in Hebrew and to carry the the scroll of the scripture, the Torah. His father had to help him. I said, what a picture. They, They don't get it. They're struggling with spiritual things because they're going in the wrong direction. And uh, the rabbis' rabbinical Christianity has done more damage to them. Let his sin and his blood be upon us and our ancestors, they yelled out. And um, anyway, we we don't have time to get deeper into this. You say, but what about their sincerity? Jesus is the one who says, These people draw near me with their mouths and honor me, uh, or draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from, from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as commandments the teachings of men. Uh, there you have it. Well, we have to move forward. Verse 24, we're almost done. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow as many as have spoken have also foretold these days. Um, when you are witnessing to Jewish people, I think it is very important that Satan double, doubles up his attack on them because they are linked to the chosen people of God that lay out the plan of God. From them, Messiah has come. Um, from them, the, the scriptures. They were custodians of the scriptures. And it just helps to understand that, as Paul pointed out with a broken heart, uh, Satan has blinded them. Um, his, his, we should never allow ourselves to lose sight of love whenever we're witnessing. Verse 25, You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all families of the earth shall be blessed. This is um, Paul becoming all things to all men, using the scripture to identify where he says, And your seed all families of the earth shall be blessed. Seed is singular. It refers to Messiah. Not to Israel. However, it comes through Israel. So you, you have that paradox. Verse 26 To you first, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Well, we're speaking a lot about the Jewish people in the book of Acts, and we will continue to until the Gentiles start moving in, which is going to be fierce. But when we get to the epistles, then, then we're, we're going to beat the snot out of the Gentiles. So anyway, verse 26. To you first, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. So uh, Paul, Peter is saying God wants you saved. And this is, this is the, the, the process that God has laid out before us. His sermon will be interrupted by his arrest. He and John. The impact is probably a thousand people saved. If you look at verse four of chapter four, it this was uh, the church was growing and expanding uh, just by the preaching of the word and the loving of the Christians. Well, I sometimes want to thank you for sitting through this, uh, but listen, I put about twenty hours into this. What's an hour to you? Let's pray. Our Father, uh, so much knowledge and information, all of it worth it and useful. If we would but apply ourselves, it would be a, a good prayer to ask of you in the name of Jesus that we make better use of our time to your glory, that we could be more useful to you. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.